Recycling Today magazine. Welcome to the Fresh Perspective podcast. I'm here today with Brandy Harlow, who is Chief Operations Officer at South Post Oak Recycling Center in Houston. The facility has been providing non-ferrous and ferrous scrap metal and electronics recycling for over 25 years. Brandy has been working at South Post Oak Recycling Center for seven years. In her current position, she's focused on strategic direction of the firm and oversees sales, marketing, and HR. Before joining South Post Oak Recycling Center, she worked for a few years at the Walt Disney Company as head of organizational development, talent management, and learning and development. As a fun fact, she even had the opportunity to dress up as Chip from Chip and Dale one time while working at Disney. She's also worked in organizational development at Northrop Grumman and as a human resource analyst for Target. Thanks for coming on the show today, Brandy. Thank you for having me, Megan. So to get things started, how did you first enter the recycling industry? What prompted you to join? You know, this is always an interesting question here because it definitely wasn't an overnight decision and maybe it wasn't even a typical path. And thank you for the introduction, by the way. Um, so as you mentioned, I, I spent probably about 12 to 13 years on, on a really an enjoyable corporate track, you know, since I spent some time at North of Grumman and the Walt Disney Company. And I used to live downtown Los Angeles and commute to um, the El Segundo area near LAX Airport to go to Northrop Grumman. And given anybody who knows the Los Angeles traffic knows that the traffic is no joke. And so what could what should maybe be a 15 to 20-minute commute can easily turn into an hour, an hour and a half. And so on those drives, I would use that as time to catch up with my family who was back in Houston. And um, very growing up and still as an adult, very close to my, both my mom and dad, um, I would be on the phone with my dad on the way to the office and just kind of talk to him about what was going on in the scrap business. And I noticed that probably back in maybe about 12 years ago, he he brought up to me one point and he said, hey, Brandy, you know, I'm going to be looking to retire, you know, at some point, you know, in the next five to 10 years. He said, um, I know you love business. This could definitely be something that you can do and that you can take over if you're interested in. So, Megan, I kind of balked at that idea. I listened to it. I was interested in what he was doing, but that wasn't necessarily going to be my journey. So I would say that that was the first seed. Fast forward, left Northrop Grumman, went to Disney, uh, spent a few years there. While I was there, I used to actually hire a lot of executive coaches for the executives that I worked with. And one of the gentlemen, um, Peter, Peter asked me, and he said, so, Brandy, he said, you're loving this, you're doing extremely well here, but I know that there's more. He said, what, what's next for you? And I said, well, you know, Peter, I think I may start my own consulting firm or purchase some franchises. And, you know, and so I went through a couple of things that were kind of on my, my vision list, if you will, for, for, for anyone who has kind of their own vision board. And so Peter looks up at me and he says, don't your, don't your family have a scrap metal business in the Houston area? I said, yes. Why? And he says, have you ever thought about that? And I said, seriously, Peter? I said, I have a very nice, cushy job here. I said, why would I want to go into the scrap metal industry? So, Megan, I would say that that was probably the, the second seed. And then as life has it, you know, we and we'll, we may talk about this later, you know, things go well, you face setbacks and so forth. And I, would, I was experiencing some frustrations internally and realized that maybe I did need to say, okay, what's next? 
And so I kind of wrapped my head around the notion of I kind of got fixed on wanting to run a business, although was not dead set on what type of business it was. And all that to say is um, in the matter of just through prayer and through talking through to trusted advisors, I decided that I would, and, and my husband, and talking to the, the collective group and said, okay, you know, I think that this could be an interesting leap. Um, and so I start setting my wheels in motion to move kind of transition my my career and my interest in Los Angeles to the scrap metal industry. And there's more to go with it, but that's at least where where the start was. Got it. And you said that your family is in the scrap industry, yet you didn't think growing up, this is what I want to do my entire career at all? Not at all. You know, that, Megan, it just wasn't. I worked, ironically, I worked in the yard probably at the age of 15 and 16 when my dad started the business. I, w- I would literally um, be out in a shed, you know, upgrading radiators and, and AC reefers, cutting off reefer ends, actually cutting off iron, off brass. It just, so I had kind of been around it. And it definitely was not on my aspirational radar list, I have to tell you. But I think after a lot of further thought, you know, and thinking about what was possible, and I knew I was working pretty hard. I was was very driven. So I was working hard doing what I was doing at that time. I had a team that I I led and that I managed that were absolutely phenomenal. So I knew the power of, of good teams. But I also felt deeply inside of me that there was more there was more in store. And so once I wrapped my head around the fact that, okay, I think I think I do want to do this, then I immediately thought, you know, I knew having come around this industry that there were a lot of family businesses. There were people that went straight out of high school or college into their family business, and I knew that that wasn't my story. And so um, I began to really think, and through conversations, I, you know, I said, what can I do to complement the skill set or the value um, that my dad and mom had, you know, in terms of building the business? And so um, not that it's required at all, but I knew I had a lot of business experience, and I knew about corporate America having worked for Fortune 150 companies, but I hadn't ran a metal recycling facility. So I decided at that time that I was going to go back and get an MBA. Um, again, not that it's required, but I, I wanted to be able to add it to, if you will, my hands-on experience. I wanted, you know, some more business experience. And so about two and a half years or three years before I made the shift, I did, you know, I started looking into business schools. I looked at UCLA, USC, Pepperdine, um, and Pepperdine seemed to fit my value system and the model of what I could do more. Um, Pursued that route and every opportunity that I had while at Pepperdine to study a business or to run financials or to look at profit and loss statements and and play with balance sheets. I actually did it on South Post Oak Recycling Center. So I didn't didn't go and look for another corporation. I used that two-year experience to actually start to get underneath my family business at that time. So I had finished grad school at Pepperdine in December of 2012 and, you know, put in my resignation at what I think was a phenomenal company. And um, But I did know that there was more in store for me. It took probably about a month, you know, trip or vacation to Europe and came back and moved to Houston. And that was 2013, and I have not looked back. That's awesome. Now, so before coming to recycling, you you obviously got a fair deal of experience outside the scrap industry. So what are some of the experiences and skills from those days that have translated to your time now at the company? 
You know, that's a that's a that's a good question, Megan, because I think a lot of people say, Brandy, you studied psychology, you did industrial organizational psychology. Yeah, we get how business transfers over. But Megan, I feel very fortunate. I feel very blessed. I, I believe that a lot of my experience has transferred over. Um, specifically so my my background was in organizational development and talent management and also um looking culturally and strategically at mergers and acquisitions. So to look at any acquisitions that we're doing, use a tools to determine if that was going to be a good cultural fit. So beyond does, does, it, does it make a good business decision, is it going to make a good cultural fit? Um, I, I, I worked a lot in the areas of structural design. So I worked at that time a lot with uh, my division of the company's um, most senior executives to actually design their organizations based on the strategic direction of the organization, onboard executives to ensure that they were set up for success so then that they can lead teams effectively. Um, decide with them kind of when to divest material. Unfortunately, participate in a lot of layoffs, you know, that resulted in changes to an organization. So having to work on communication strategies um, based on large-scale change. So from and then also um, I, I ran or I led learning and development, so assessing all of the learning needs of the organization uh, for various levels of talent and then um, having an awesome team who could help execute and go deliver that training. Um, and I did that myself while I was at Northrop Grumman, so I would travel around to different Northrop sites and I would deliver different leadership classes. So essentially I went from teaching those things, if you will, to actually leading them. Um, so instead of showing people how to do performance re- reviews, you know, I was, I was taking that, that skill set with my team and my management, ensuring they did that. Instead of talking about culture, I have a chance now to create the, the culture that I desire within my organization. Instead of telling people don't design around a person, you know, design around the organizational needs positions, I'm now able to do that in my own business. So to me, Megan, there's so much transferability. You know, it's in, essentially I went from being a coach to others, to a coach in my own organization, to my team, um, and setting the direction. So I think there was a direct tie. And then even the challenges that I faced or the setbacks that I faced, because we all faced them, I think that they have only made me stronger. So when opportunities or doors didn't open, it you know it might have delayed what I wanted was the next step, but then it primed me for, for another opportunity, um, that which provided me skills that I'm using today. Awesome. It's so crazy to hear how those different experiences still relate. And I'm going to ask a bit of a curveball question here, but I did see on South Post Oak Recycling Center's uh, social media that while you were at Walt Disney, you did get to dress up like Chip from Chip and Dale once. (laughs) So why did you do that? And also, question I'm sure everybody has, is it really hot in those character costumes? You know that's funny. Um, I'll start backwards. Actually, believe it or not, um, because we we live in a very progressive world. Actually, they they are kind of ventilated. They're ventilated nicely, and um, every every character has kind of like an armed man or woman that's with them, you know, and they all to make sure that everything's okay and that they're only in the suits for a period of time. But 
um, how did I get an opportunity? It was it was such a wonderful opportunity. So I think you you know it's so funny when I listen to people. People like, well, do you know so and so who works at Disney? I'm I, I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's over 120,000 employees at that company, but also there were at least it keeps evolving. I hadn't been there in seven years, but at the time I was there, there were about five divisions of the company. You know, you had parks and resorts. You had I worked for the video game and internet division of the company, and you had consumer products, which I would work for at one point. And you had ABC and you had the studios. Um, and so at that time, they, there was kind of like this high performer or high performing leadership type of program where every division would identify maybe a handful of people who would go through a week-long program, leadership program. And a part of that was spending a day immersed in each division of the business. And so if you were at, you know, parks and resorts, you know, everybody would get an experience at parks and resorts. You know, everybody would get a, um, an experience in the gaming division. So while I didn't work for the parks and resorts, this was a part of that leadership program. So the, the, the day that we spent at the parks and resorts, one of the perks of this program was that you actually got to be a character. But the funniest thing, I don't know if you know, Megan, you don't just get to say, oh, I want to be Chip, you know, or I want to be Cinderella. Um, it's all based on height. It's based mm-hmm. on height and size. And so as they're looking to select who's going to do what, the one thing that they want to know is what's your, what's your height and how much do you weigh? <laughs> and then that's the term. And then they're like, okay, five, one and a half, you get Chip or Dale. Which one would you like? So it was a, it was a neat experience. It, um, I think we were in costume maybe about an hour, and it was, just, it was really neat to be behind this mesh eyes and uh, our, our lips, if you will, and see the kids or see the families and even adults who were so thrilled about an experience. So very neat, very memorable. Very cool. Well, thanks for sharing that side story there that I'm sure not many people get to experience that in their career. No problem. So yeah, I guess what you're doing today, you're chief operations officer at South Post Oak Recycling Center. So what are some of the things that you tackle on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. Um, I mentor a couple um, young ladies in the area, and I've had a couple shadow me, and one said, Brandy, you wear many hats. And, Megan, I would say that that's that's the best descriptor. You know, we're a small, mid-sized company here in Houston, and so I would say that I wear many hats. You know, first and foremost, you know, my my job is to – to set the strategic direction of the organization, you know, the vision that goes with it, you know, the goals um, that go with it, and then to ensure that we're moving in alignment with those things. So that that's what I would say at, a, at, a, at the highest level. And then setting up. Um, the second thing to me is um, I, I oversee processes or systems at a high level. So if, for me, in order to scale and grow, it's absolutely essential that we have effective, um, efficient, and necessary processes and systems in place. And so I have a, a team who I work with to make sure that, that we, we have processes and systems that allow us to scale and offer the service promise and the quality promise um, that's important to us. Um, given that my background is in human resources, uh, not that, that a chief operations officer should be in the trenches on HR, but I still oversee HR. Um, I have a team, I have a couple of folks that, that are in HR, but for me, HR is not necessarily about hiring or firing per se. It's also about the culture, the culture of the organization. Does, does it embody the feel, you know, and the intention that I desire as, for the company? Now, culture does start to happen or 
evolve organically, and that's going to happen in any any company. But I, I also believe that if you don't set some intention around, you know, how you want people to treat each other, how you will celebrate events, you know, what's going to be the attitude around here, um, you know, will there be a spirit of fear, fear or will there be a transparent culture? And, and so my my job is to ensure that the the culture is is moving in a direction and flourishing in a direction you know that that I desire um the other thing is 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 always looking at our business models you know are we I work very closely like hand in hand with my CFO um and my finance team to make sure that we are buying and selling metal correctly um and in the best and most profitable way possible and so definitely huge focus on the financial piece I'm also the internal liaison, if you will, for our, our our company's brand ambassador. So while I have a couple of folks on my marketing team, you know, I'm 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 the face locally, if you will, with our our B2B accounts or our business to government accounts, and so um, definitely have a team in place for that. But but I I touch that quite a bit as well as is our um, involvement with ISRI or the Institute of Scrap Recycling Industries. We are very actively involved in the trade association both at a, a state, a city, state, regional, meaning Gulf Coast, and national level. And so um, my dad, Freddie, actually started with a, with a level of involvement. And when I came on board, I think he was happy to hand that piece over. <laughs> not that he's not actively involved. but So all that to say, Megan, is that, you know, several hats, you know, like I said, several hats from, from the top to the scalability to growth expansion to the financial model that we use to buy and sell material and the like. Uh, and, and then it's also my role to make sure that I, I, I build an awesome team um, because there's no way that you can do what you do without having an awesome team. Awesome. And yeah, that definitely sounds like you're juggling a lot. And one thing that you mentioned, uh, you help with the company's culture. So that ties really great to this next question here that I had. What is the culture like at South Post Oak Recycling Center? And also, what is it like to work for the company? Yeah, we have a lean team. And so what's the culture like? You know, it starts today every day. There is what we call a daily five um, where the entire team comes together, specifically the operations team and what I call the internal coordinator staff team comes together for a five-minute daily meeting. And that five-minute meeting starts off with a daily affirmation. And so we, we got in a groove about three years ago. I was inspired based on affirmations I was doing personally to give it a try and start that at the company. Again, trying to in, infuse my personal values into my business, you know, because I do think that they should be integrated personally. And so starting with, you know, an affirmation of, around attitude and how we can think about life and what we're capable of doing. And so that kind of sets the tone, I think, for anybody who comes in here. I had a, a new driver that started a couple months ago. He's like, wow, I've never been to a company that actually has an affirmation statement. And so, and it rotates out on a quarterly basis. So that kind of sets the tone in terms of culture. Another example is when I came on board, um, uh, my dad or Freddie and I would joke because coming from Disney, we celebrated birthdays, we celebrated anniversaries, and of course it was a bigger organization, but I had just come out of 
organizations where that was that was commonplace, you know, and people appreciated it. And also having a background in industrial organizational psychology and knowing that the primary driver for people is not money as long as they feel like they're being paid fairly. There are three other things that hit the top of the list. Um, and one is kind of the community that they work or the environment or the friends that they have. Second is that they feel like the work that they're doing is meaningful. And then another is that they feel appreciated and valued. And so I've tried to establish a culture, Megan, around pulling those three lovers, you know. How, and so um, we celebrate birthdays around here, you know, and that is literally from the time for, at orientation we asked um, our our new hires on a sheet of paper that they fill out amongst everything else that's more technical, what is your favorite dessert? And then that goes into um, a, a document or a calendar system so that when everybody's birthday comes around, we're providing them with their favorite dessert. Um, and people love it. You know, we've heard comments like, oh, my gosh, you know, I love red velvet. I don't think I've had a birthday cake from anybody in my family for the past 10 years. And so it's it's those little things that we do. If, if someone has as a child or they buy a new home, you know, we put those things up on the on the break room board or wall. And so there there are little touches of, of things that are done that create culture. I personally have an open door policy, you know, as long as I'm not on a call or in a meeting. Um, people know that they can stop in. Um, and another thing that, that we do on the cultural side is I really believe that People, obviously, people are people, and we we have all types of employees here. You know, we I, I've I've said to, in many environments, you know, a good forty to fifty percent of my workforce are quote unquote second chance hires, so people who would have a hard time finding a job um, in other in other work environments or who would be scanned out. And I'm very much I, I believe, and we find value in providing jobs for people. But we also, but I also realize that people need to grow further um, than just having economic or uh, fin- or financial viability. And so we'll do things where my team will bring in banks and have them talk to our employees, banks that actually will set up accounts or lend to people, to second-chance folks. I brought in um, counselors or therapists through nonprofits who talk about their service that are either free of charge or are nominal, and, and those services can range from how to cre- how do I create a budget, you know, to how do I, you know, buy my first used vehicle with a stipend or a grant. So essentially culture just really for us evolves around the whole person. That sounds like some really unique ways to improve the culture, and I haven't heard that from many other scrap recycling companies, so thanks for sharing. No um, problem. So since joining the recycling industry about seven years ago full-time, what would you say are some of the challenges that you faced in your career, and how did you overcome those? Yeah, you know, I, I, that question comes up too, and I have to say my, my philosophy or my, my belief in life, and so it's, sometimes it's hard for me to answer that one um, because I, I really am a believer that um, every setback is primed for a setup. Another way to put it, I know in, in, in Dale's Carnegie, Dale Carnegie's book, Think and Grow Rich, and even a book that I really enjoy called Outwitting the Devil, Napoleon Hill talks about this whole concept of there's a seed of opportunity in every setback. In the sense, this is another way of saying that what is the silver lining. And so I, I have to say, Megan, that is that is my philosophy, and that's, that's my belief on things. Maybe I almost feel like I faced – 
more challenges potentially, you know, in in corporate America, whether that had been through, you know, um, ageism. You know, I elevated very early um, up through corporate ranks, um, you know, and so sometimes it could be like, well, is she too young to, you know, kind of step into this role or step into this capacity? Um, And so that could have been, you know, different challenges. Um, we're clearly here, here in a male-dominated industry, but I have to say that um, the the advancement that I have had within this organization has been because of both men and women in this organization. And so I wouldn't, while it is a male-dominated organization, I would say that I I have felt very supported, um, and I and I attribute a lot of that to how my dad or Freddie kind of brought me into the industry and made the introductions. But maybe maybe a, a career challenge that I think many people can face is, is I think, a natural challenge in being in a family business. Um, I'm second generation, um, and every and I've talked to so many people who are even third or fourth generation. So I think the stories are similar, and and somehow they they vary a little bit. But there there is still, even though I would say our transition is and has been going very well comparatively. You know, there's still a piece of you know, the first generation not wanting to let go of certain things, of thus making change or adapting or improvement either delayed or a lot slower than one would like. And so that, that can have frustrating points, and that can that can be things that I might say, man, that is a huge challenge. But then there's a huge piece of me that's like, you know, this is happening for a reason. Or, you know, just, you know, be persistently patient, Brandy, and, and things will evolve. So those are a couple of things that, that that I would say, honestly. And then, you know, from an industry standpoint, I do think that there is a, a large population of people that, that are, are not as prone or interested in adapting to change um, within the industry. And I, But I think that that is in any industry. I think it's in life. You know, pe- there are people who just do not like change. And so that's always going to be a challenge, I think, for anyone who is looking to be more progressive and not change just for change's sake, but ideally with a goal and a vision to kind of see progress in a in a in a different direction. Got it. And from more of an industry perspective, what do you see as some of the biggest issues impacting the scrap industry today, and why do you think that is? You know. Um, Man, we have some things that are pressing now that were pressing a year ago, that were pressing a year before that. It's just ever-evolving. I just kind of got through talking about change in terms of challenges, but change also affects, you know, or can cause big issues. You know, if we look today, you know, we're we're dealing with what I think today or this morning was announced as a global pandemic, you know, and so we're we're dealing with that and what's the rollover effect or the impact and how we do business, how we how we buy and sell recyclables or commodities today. It's definitely having an impact on us um, with facilities closing down, you know, people considering um, temporarily closing. For So today, I would say that's the case. I try not to get so fixed on it, but, you know, last year and even to this year before, you know, we were dealing with geopolitical issues. So we're dealing with trade wars and how does trade wars affect us and the price of commodities and downstream for materials and needing to find new markets for materials because the, the markets that we were selling into um, are, are, are quote-unquote closing their doors. And then more locally, you know, if it's a legislative uh, session here in Texas, we are constantly, every legislative session, trying to make sure that there's not laws or regulations 
implemented that overregulate our industry. You know, we had a new ordinance or a law passed about four years ago where we had to start issuing what's called Texas cash cards. Um, and this, this was very burdensome at the beginning because it required us to invest in more equipment. It required us to um, essentially marginalize some of our customer base because we, we had to have certain IDs. We couldn't take certain passports. And so I have honestly felt in my seven years in this industry, Megan, there has there's always been something. Um, it's just, you know, a matter of what and what is it now uh, and the opportunities to figure out, okay, how will you navigate the waters or try to get ahead of it? Got it. And more of a lighthearted question here. So when you're not busy in the scrap recycling industry, what are you doing for fun? You know, I I believe in working hard and playing hard. You know, that that became, when I got in this industry, that became a mantra of mine. And I know it's an old mantra, but I totally get it. Um, I love to travel. I absolutely love to travel. I like to see the world. And to me, traveling is my playground, and it's also my, my learning bed. And so, um in the country, domestically, internationally, that to me is a hobby. I mean, I'm I'm going somewhere at minimum once a month, and so I enjoy that. I also enjoy. Um, I have a great group of friends that I enjoy grabbing a glass of wine with or going to the museum with, just to kind of connect. Self care uh, is very important. Growing up, I never thought I would have been a a, a spa lady, if you will, but I I really enjoy time to intentionally kind of unwind and rejuvenate and then I guess and then I also enjoyed the volunteer the outreach that that I do I'm very actively involved in uh, my church's business ministry where we work with entrepreneurs um, involved in the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo where the focus is on raising awareness around the impact of agriculture as well as raising funds for scholarships I'm involved in Pepperdine's Alumni Association. I serve on the board of one of the agencies with the city of Houston, and and that network of people is fun. So there's definitely um, a full plate even outside of South Post Stoke Recycling Center, to say the least, Megan, but I enjoy it. I, I try to live life fully. That's awesome. Now, just as a final question here, um, I know you mentioned that you're involved in HR with the company, so this might tie in great. I know in recycling, sometimes it can be hard to recruit new people to the industry. And even yourself, you didn't think you'd end up in it again now. So what would you say are some good ways to recruit new people to the industry or young professionals to consider this as a career? Yeah, you know, this has been a topic that's come up, too, in, in, a, in a couple different environments. And to be honest, some of this has been trial and error with us, you know, recruiting. You know, there's this whole thought on there's a war on talent. But aside from that, the question specifically is kind of recruiting young professionals. Um, I guess I can answer it from a couple different lens. I know for us locally, uh, the mayor has an initiative called Hire Houston Youth. Um, and the target age is age 16 to 24. For the past three to four years, we've worked with the city to try to recruit at least some, maybe even seasonal positions from that pool of folks. Um, and that gives them an opportunity and us an opportunity to expose more youth to our industry and in, in, in feel. There's also another avenue, actually, I'm slated to speak at an event here local in Houston called Jason's Learning. Um, in a couple of weeks, um, it's an organization that ISRI, or the Institute of Scrap Recycling Industries, has partnered with, and their focus is on increasing STEM-based education and learning 
for school-age students and even teachers. And so um, the, an opportunity is, is kind of one like next week. It's actually speaking to a group of about over 100 academics or teachers about our industry to talk about the various types of jobs that are available in, in our industry so that they can start to raise visibility to students um, as they are exploring and dreaming about what they can do. Um, so that's a that's a way that you know we outreach, and but I would probably say my most effective is the outreach that 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 I and we do at our at some local universities here in Houston. I go and speak to women's entrepreneurship class. I go and speak to environmental studies class, and talk to the students about the industry and the job opportunities that are even available at at our company. And I think that those are ways three different channels that we're using just to kind of continue to raise raise awareness. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today, Brandy. No problem. Thank you for the opportunity. I, I really appreciate it. And, and um, I, I think it's always good to continue to say, hey, how can we share ideas? You know, what can people learn from each other? Because I think that's the only way we all get better.